0: Good afternoon. Well, to begin with, I have a confession to make. I can see all the eyes on me, you know. People love to hear. It isn't that bad. It's not the way to start the sermon either. But, you see, <laughs> I am in a quandary. You know what quandary means? I'm perplexed, I'm confused. I just don't know which way to turn. I just don't know what type of a sermon to give to you. I'm serious. For the last uh, two weeks, this is the third one now, I've been preaching. In uh, Monroe, Louisiana, I began a sermon, and I tried to explain to people, a lot of elderly people, how to adjust themselves to life. What are you laughing about? <laughs> See my confession? <laughs> so anyway, you know what? I had lots of notes. I couldn't even cover one-tenth of it. So I promised I'll continue. The following week, I was in uh, Waterboro. I said, well, I better at least continue with that sermon. Guess what? I third just two-tenths of it. So eight tenths left yet, so my wife says, go ahead and give the rest. I said, oh, no. (laughs) I I tried twice. I won't try it again. (laughs) So some other time I have to do it. But it's really strange. Why things like that happen? Why is it that I begin the sermon and I just don't finish it? Well, very simple. Just make a detour. You just go around around the bush, you know. And that's what I did. So I'm a quandary. The quandary means for those who don't know the word, I'm perplexed, I'm sort of, uh, shall I say, confused, as I said, a dilemma. Now, what I would like to do, really, I, I'm serious. My wife knows this, this morning I told Lucas, without." I don't know where I am. And she said, what's new? <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful thing you have a wife, she, she encourages you, isn't it? <laughs> So, what I will do, I will not go back to the sermon, which I will be hopeless. But I will take something along the line, because I do remember two or three people came to me afterwards, even though I did not start my sermon. They said, you know, we're not sure we're going to make it. I said, why? Why do we? some of us have doubts that we are going to be able to be in God's kingdom? In a way, what I had in mind about aging or getting older, the more you age, the more doubts you have. Why? Why is it that makes people wonder? Could you show me in the Bible one place, one single verse that would justify any one of us to doubt God's intentions for us to, to be saved? You can't. Yet, this is constantly on you know, our minds. Nice people, wonderful people, they've been in the church for a long time. You know, I hope we make it. I hope we can do it. I wish we could stop hoping and just being positive because God has told us, has promised us that he's going to see that we do reach the kingdom of God. In fact, in fact, The week of unleavened bread is part of it. What makes it that most of us, not most of us, perhaps most of us, those who doubt, have questions about their conversion? Are you doing your part? Are you really getting close to God? If so, why do you have questions? Why do you have to have doubts? Those are important questions, brethren. Because one thing is true, you cannot turn back. You cannot change something you have done. You can't repent, sure. But what is done is done. You have to go forward. Therefore, what I could say, let's really, all of us, have that conviction that God called us to be saved. That's what the Bible says. From Genesis to Revelation, there's not one single verse it will say, I call you that I could crush you that you make it you will you will fail in fact let's begin with a very interesting passage why did christ die john 3 everyone knows by heart let's go over again that's a starting point john 3 verse 16 now look this will do is give us enough courage let's say any one of us who has some doubts that we will not be able to make it. He says, God so loved the world that he gave the only begotten son. Look, if God is giving his son, why in the world and how do we doubt? That is that no one should perish but has or have everlasting life. To me, that promise alone is finished. Let's say that closes any doubts. But that's not all. See, what happened to us, some of us in the church, we let Satan confuse our minds. The moment Satan starts working with you, you have doubts, you have fears in your minds. Every time you have a fear in your mind, it either comes from Satan or from something you did wrong or sinned. That's the beginning of fears. Now, Isaiah, that's Old Testament, by the way. (laughs) I'm saying this because some people today, I heard the other day, you know, St. Parthian, you're an old-timer. Because all of those things in the Old Testament are all spiritualized today. I keep the Sabbath spiritually. I keep the feast in the spiritual mind because I asked someone, I said, are you going to keep the feast of unleavened bread? Oh, sure, in my mind. So I, I would have French bread in my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. So the fact is that this is the tendency people have. Not, Old Testament, believe it or not, says exactly what John 3.16 said in a different way. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Verse 22. Look, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't like this translation here. Sometimes it's, the English quite, quite come out the way the original is. It says, "Look to me, and be saved." That's not the exact translation. The exact Hebrew is, "If you turn to me, if you do what I say, if you obey, you'll be saved." There's a condition. As I said a moment ago, you don't have to be afraid, ever fear that you will lose out salvation, but always be sure that you do respect conditions. There are always conditions in life for everything you do. So here God says clearly, look, if you look to me, toward me, turn to me, to what I say, you shall be saved. So again, I repeat, why should you doubt as far as your salvation is concerned? Fear comes from Satan. Fear, faith comes, comes from God. So, trust what God is saying. Again, let's go to Hebrew chapter 7. I'm just playing with this for a while so that you will be convinced before we, let's say, get into the subject of the sermon. Uh, Hebrews 7. The book of Hebrews is interesting because in this book, there are many, many new truths, new, so to speak, because are not repeated elsewhere. Like in the book of Hebrews, it says that angels were created to be servants for us today, to help us. That's, that's a new thought. In Hebrews, it also says, what is the job of a priesthood? In this very chapter, it also says, look, don't give up. That God is here to save you. Look at it. Hebrews chapter 7 very interesting chapter by the way verse 25 Hebrews 7:25 therefore says he is also god is able to save to the uttermost those who come to god through him since he uh, since uh, he ever lives to make intercession for them I'm just going slowly because of the fact I I can see it very clearly what I'm driving at here. Now, look, first of all there's Christ. Then God, there's God. Christ is making intercession for us. What? For? To perish? No. To save us. i repeat again, what makes you doubt that God wants you to fail? Why is it that today So many of us are doubting. I know things are going wrong around the world. I know we have problems. I know every time you hear about all kinds of flu or bird flu, whatever it is, people are scared. Frankly, we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be scared because there's a war in Iraq or whatever it is. Those things do happen, will happen. It's prophesied it's going to happen. The more things go wrong, as far as I'm concerned, the more encouraged I am. That's right, because I know the end is coming. I know that this is what God says. Yet some of us are the exact opposite. The things go wrong, this oh my, what's going to happen now? There is your problem. My friends, Psalms chapter hundred eighteen. There's so many because frankly speaking, I could end my sermon here. That's it. Don't be afraid. God says He wants to be saved. Period. Just do what he says, and that's all. But the fact remains that, you see, there's, this is a world where around us there's, there are so many people doubting, turning against God. Therefore, all of us have to be on our guards. Psalms 118. David was a very interesting individual. He committed many, many sins, as we all know but he always repented, he turned to God, and then he makes, sometimes in the Bible, in the Psalms especially, fantastic statements. And David portrays courage in many, many ways. Look what he says in Psalms 18, 118, verse uh, 6. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. To me, that Verse alone gives me all the courage I need. If the God is your side, you will not fear anything. What I shall not fear is that what man can do to me. The Lord is for me among those who help helped me. Therefore it says, I shall see my desire, I shall uh, see my desire on those who hate me. You know what's what David is saying here, what the Bible is saying, what all of the scriptures say, look, don't be doubting your conversion. Don't be doubting your salvation. Don't be doubting the efforts you make. Some of us are able to do more, others not. When you look around, someone is doing more than you are. If you're doing the best you can, that's all that matters. It is not a question how well others are doing, it's a question of how well you are doing with what you have. And that's where we go wrong, brethren. Sometimes we forget Christ's very important parables, like Matthew 25. Each one, the one who got five talents, the one who got two talents, the one who got one talent, each one received according to his ability. That's what it is. From that moment, on, there's no fear. Don't compare yourself with someone else. What others do. If you have received according to what you have, you could do, that's all that matters. Stop doubting. Sometimes when you begin comparing yourself with others, that's where you begin doubting. That's where you're afraid. You say, I cannot do it. I repeat, show me in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, one verse, God will say, I call you to destroy you. Start from Adam and Eve. Look, why did God call Adam and Eve? To destroy them? No. He told them, Genesis 2, look, it says, it's a beautiful garden, multiply, be happy, be joyful, just have a good time. Take care of nature. So everything was good. What happened when Adam and Eve believed not God but Satan? Satan is always there to just try to just distract you or just turn you away from God. So Satan said, look, what God says it isn't right. So from that moment on, look what happens. And that's interesting because this, there's your beginning perhaps of fear, as I mentioned a moment ago. Genesis chapter 3, after the couple took the forbidden fruit, when God called them, all of a sudden something happens. So then the Lord, verse 9, Genesis 3, verse 9, the Lord called Adam and said, where are you? He said, here I am. Oh, no, he didn't say here I am, did he? See, there it is, because he did not say God said he did not do what God said. He says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. What do you know? There it is. There is no reason whatsoever that Adam should have been afraid had he done what God had said. But the moment you do exactly opposite to what God said, then you have to be afraid, and that's the beginning of fear, all the way through. Likewise when God called Israelites, and took them out of Egypt. We'll hear this during the week of unleavened bread. You know, God called people, God called these people, God made all kinds of miracles. People again doubted God's words. After 10 miracles, they say, why do you want us to die in the desert? Now, wait a moment. Show me one place in the Bible that says, I want you out of Egypt so you can die in the desert." I mean, it's stupid, I know, but that's what it is. It's the same thing as far as you're concerned and I'm concerned. If you and I begin to die the doubt that, look, I don't know if God wants me to succeed, you're doing exactly what Israelites did. You're following exactly the same pattern. Because God said that he called us to, to be in his kingdom to save, and then you say, well, I don't know if he really means it. Maybe he wants me to die in the meantime. It is strange, but that's why it is really, because look at Exodus chapter 14. At least this much I should say, because of the fact every Passover time when I read this thing, it's sort of sad, because of the fact after 14 miracles, you expect at least to have more faith, you know. Exodus chapter 14. So, when people, verse 14, uh, Nine. Israelites saw Pharaoh's army; they were scared. There goes again. So they're afraid. Every time, as I said, you see the word "afraid." Always look around and see where Satan is around in the neighborhood. So people were scared because of the fact that they did not do what God said. They did not trust God. They did not believe Him. So they want to go back. How? Verse 12, let us alone, they are telling Moses, look at this. Moses took them out of Egypt with God's help. The first thing they tell him when they see Pharaoh's army, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Look at these statements. You want to go back to the world. You want to do what you used to do because of the fact you were scared. You're afraid because you turned away from God. For it should have been better just for the for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It's true. But dying in the wilderness was not in the cards. It was in their own imagination because they turned away from God. Brethren, this is the basis. This is something we should have in mind all the time, every day, because of the fact look, there is no way, you cannot escape it. Last Sabbath, all of you, I'm I'm sorry to say, were one week younger. (laughs) That's right. You were one week younger last Sabbath. So whether you like it or not, next Sabbath at this time, you'll be one week older. Therefore, you'll be coming more and more to this idea of thinking, am I going to make it? Am I going to succeed? What happened to the first nation God called Israelites after God revealed himself to them? Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Sometimes it's amusing because of the fact it is so ridiculous, it's so human. God sometimes should look down and just say, what fools you are, you people. Because we are fools, we see what God says, we, all we have to do what he says and then we still keep doubting we still would like to go the other way which Satan's way and then before you know it we are totally discouraged if we did what God said from the very beginning all of us we should not be victims of discouragement I know we are human, I know we are feeble I know all of this, all of us are in the same situation but the fact is that if we spend more time getting rid of the fears, getting close to God, you will see how much more enjoyable life is and can be. Exodus chapter 20. Here's where God, after taking Israelites out of Egypt, gave them the Ten Commandments. Now, you say, why? Is that wonderful? God tells us exactly what to do, and now I can really be, let's say, filled with Enthusiasm. No, it wasn't that way. Exodus chapter 20. After God gave the, the commandments, the 10, now verse 18. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning, all of that. And then what happened? They turned up Moses. They, said they were afraid. They said, look, you speak to us and we'll hear you, but not God, lest we die. Wait a moment. Why? Why do you get the idea less with eyes? See what I'm talking about? This idea of doubts always comes from Satan, I know, but you get that idea if you just turn away from God. If you don't do what God says, if you go your way, Satan's way, then yes, you always be scared lest you die, lest you die, and so forth. Disobedience brings about doubts. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, I'm trying to get as many proofs I can give you so that you be convinced that no, God doesn't want you to fail, but he wants you to succeed. Every doubt, every fear is because of the fact you are letting Satan or human nature direct you. If you do your part, brethren, don't ever be afraid of failing. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. Another strong verse, and this goes not only for us, but also for those, anyone who turns to God in the right way. Ezekiel chapter 18. Verse 30. Therefore, says God, Ezekiel 1830, therefore says, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you according to your ways. Repent and turn away from your transgressions so that your your iniquities will be forgiven. He says, get away or cast away from all your fears, from all your transgressions. I'm paraphrasing here. For example, why why should you die, O house of Israel? There it goes again. See, you find this all the way through. Why should you die? Why should I die? And you and I sometimes, we just are afraid we're going to miss the mark. You know what? You know, it's interesting. In my ministry, I've seen this tendency, and in me, of course, and everyone around, as conditions in the world go from bad to worse we're going to be more exposed to this type of feelings. We'll be having more and more reason to doubt. You see what happened, let's say, in Iraq or somewhere else? You're scared. You see all these flus and all these sicknesses starting? You're scared. You and I, if we were close to God, not only we should not be scared, but should be thankful that the end is nearing. I don't know why, lately my wife has a, she's studying very closely the Old Testament. Don't tell her that. She said she loved Jeremiah. I said, great. Who is Jeremiah? And then before that she had Isaiah. She was in love with Isaiah's writings. And then now she has one verse. She asked me to have it typed. She put on the icebox. And she's the most beautiful verse in the Bible. Well, you know, well, let, let me which one it is. Jeremiah chapter, it is. Maybe it, it will go exactly, it goes exactly hand in hand what I'm saying here. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, let's see Jeremiah chapter 9. And uh, if you ever came to our home, we'll show you that beautiful writing on, this, on the icebox. Jeremiah chapter 9. You know, in a way, it sums up what I'm saying here. I can just say this is the end of the sermon because it sums up the whole thing. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. <clears throat> Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Am I right here? Uh, Behold, the days are coming, says the word, that I will finish all. No, that's not the one. I'll come to it in a moment. I'm sure my wife... Jeremiah 7.23. Did I say 9? No wonder. Sorry about it. I should have seen it. Look at the eyes both closer. <laughs> 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 so my eyes are getting weaker, so when I see 9 or 7, whatever it was, I just mistook it. So all my apologies. Jeremiah chapter 9. It's a beautiful verse nevertheless. It's beautiful. It just answers... Everything we wish for. Verse 23. Um, yeah, it's a chapter, right? No, I've got something else in That's when. Okay. Uh, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. It shows the human nature, isn't it? Uh, All of us have uh, something to boast about. And before you know it, we're just again turning away from God because of the fact boastfulness is a sin. All of us have this human nature. So God says clearly, let none of us be proud of our wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Look around. In the world, the mighty do. Look glory in themselves. It could be in us too, in the church too. He says, let not the rich man glory in his riches. He's showing the human nature. That's where the fears begin because we begin going the wrong way, the human way, the carnal way. Then, of course, everything looks bad. Then we are just making a big detour. If you want to get close to God, let not the wise... Glory in his wisdom. Let not the right mighty be glory in his might. and let, But let him who glorifies glory, glory says glory in this, that he understands and knows me, God. The Lord he says, I'm the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness, in the earth. For in, they, for in these it says, I delight, says the Lord. You know, it's true. When you read this thing here carefully, it sums up the whole thing. It shows one way man's character, the way we do. However little we are, we just boast ourselves. And the more God looks at things, the more he gives all we need to be able to succeed, to make the kingdom. Brethren, where are we? In other words, here we are in the church of God. And God called his church for what purpose? For what purpose did God call Moses when he dealt with the Israelites? Because God wanted Israelites to be led to the promised land. Likewise, God wants us today to be led to his kingdom Christ is the head. Christ built one church. Matthew chapter 16, we know it. Now, where is that church? There we go again. See, this is where we go wrong. Don't look around. Look at the Bible. Where God shows the churches, follow. What God says, do. And don't look around to see, to criticize, to find faults with others. Because once you start doing it, you are actually deviating from God's very purpose for your calling. God didn't call you and me to judge others. God didn't call you and me to just uh, criticize others. God called you and me to do a job. If you do that job, you should never fear whether or not you should not, you should be, you should not be able to succeed or be saved. If you're doing your job faithfully, whatever your job is, you are going to make it. That's positive, that's right, that's true. And there's no, any passage in the Bible which will deny it. In Matthew chapter 16, interesting verse, which is oftentimes misunderstood. Matthew 16, 18, Christ talking to he told him that he's going to build this church on the rock and then he did not look he did not say he's going to build churches he says I'll build my church therefore there's one church, fine that church is the one which should be keeping all of God's commandments that church is the one which should never fear adversity I repeat if we are God's church, if we are close to God, we should not fear adversity. Events like Milwaukee could happen. Events like Iraq, wars could happen. Second World War, we had over I don't know how many million in the Holocaust. Well, those things still create in us some doubts. But if we are close to God, we should not fear Because God is going to be with us all the time. Now look in Ephesians chapter 4. Here we saw that Peter was told that Christ will be the church, one church. And then here, Paul describes that church, Ephesians chapter 4. You know, this morning when I was thinking about this, I said, it's pretty hard to get around this verse here simple verse, strong verse. It shows God's oneness, God's love, the very purpose. As I said, i repeat again. I'm sorry, but I have to say it again. Look, if you are doing what God says, you should never fear. You should never doubt your salvation. You should never doubt saying, I'm not going to be able to make it. All these doubts come from Satan or from your failure of doing what God says. Ephesians four. <clears throat> Verse uh, one. Therefore it says Ephesians four one, I the prisoner, at Paul writing, beseech you to have a walk worthy of your calling. Interesting, isn't it? What is worthy of your calling? Why did God call you? And me. There's a job to be done. We have to prepare the way for the kingdom, which has called for. With all lowliness of mind or, or humble humility and gentleness. Now, those are the attributes we should have. With this attributes you should never fear the next day. You should never fear a death tomorrow. You should never fear anything. Because you know that look, you are going on the, you are on the right path. If you are on the right path, there's no fear. Once you deviate, that's where the problems begin. And here it shows the right path. Loneliness or humility, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, bearing one another's burden in love. See, this is the path. If you have doubts that you are not going to make it, then you better go back and see. ask yourself, am I in the church? Am I in this church which says, the attributes are here. Are you in the church which says that you endeavor verse uh, three and keep the unity of spirit in the bond of bond of peace? Not, those are the qualities. Look at that oneness of the church we're talking about. Don't look around. What is the Laodicean church? What is that here or Smyrna? I mean, that's not the question. I I talk about. I'll talk about it in a couple of minutes. But you see, don't look around think, where is? Let's say, what is this church and the other church? Ask yourself if we are in the church of God, the true church, are we with this type of unity all of together? There is one body, verse 4, one body, one spirit. Just as you recall, this says in one hope of your calling. One hope. It did not say one fear. So we don't think of these things, do we? We just go on, we're sick or something. Oh, no, we just give up. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. But God wants you to just come back to Ephesians 4 again. One hope, one salvation, one God, one spirit, one body, one Lord, one faith. Verse 5, verse 6, one God. Father of all, who is above all and through all. Brethren, when you see those things, when you read verses like this, you just wonder why sometimes some of us do. We can, could it be because of the fact we are not close enough to God? Age has nothing to do with it. Sickness has nothing to do with it. Those are attributes, those are excuses. Some of us look for such excuses to just... Excuse ourselves. At any age, whatever your circumstance, whatever your health, you're going to still have this attitude. Then you will never fear. Fear what Satan can do to you or against you. Let me just hear, take a few moments. I don't know how much time we will have. Examine some of the churches that, I'm not talking about the worldly churches. I'm, going, I'm talking about the churches that existed ever since Christ came on earth. In Revelation, there are seven churches. Now, wait a moment. Seven churches? We just saw in Ephesians there's only one church. How come there are seven churches? No, there are not seven churches. There are seven phases of God's one church. Some of them, they all started at the time of Christ. I'll take a detour and take some of these Churches in Revelation, even though I may not finish this, this sermon, it's okay. At least let me just come back to these churches here. Because this is, to me, it's important. Here we have seven churches in Revelation, yet God established one church. What makes the difference? I'm sure you can take time and study Revelations very carefully and see exactly how God defines the church in Revelation, the candlestick and so forth, the angels. But in Revelation chapter 23, God describes that one church in seven seven different phases, seven different attitudes. Some of these attitudes, or perhaps the churches physically speaking, they don't exist anymore today, but for all those seven churches, Physically speaking still around here. But what I'm interested in here, I want you to really look how God looks at each phase of church, what He promises them, each one of them, and what He expects of them. We're talking about one church, don't forget, different phases. Different attitudes if you want to. In Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, each, each church, by the way, receives an admonition, a correction, a warning, and a reward. Each one of them, including the Philadelphia church. Because some of us think, oh, well, God found, found the Philadelphia church perfect. No? Well, maybe so, but near perfection, but not perfect, because he tells them to something to do, too. Nine, Revelation chapter 2, you find, first of all, the first church to which God addresses himself, and he reproaches something. What does he reproach? He says, verse uh, 2, Revelation 2, verse 2, so speaking about the Ephesians church, he says, look, he says, I know your works. Your patience, that's good. He cannot bear, he says, those who are evil. That's great, that's fine. See now, here's a church, the very first phase is starting. In many, many ways, it's getting really close to God. Yet, all of a sudden, something happens. And that something, unfortunately, is the most important thing. The very first here, this church in Ephesus, look what happened. He says, I, nevertheless, verse 4, nevertheless says, I have this thing against you. You have left your first love. That's much said, isn't it? It happens to you today, it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone at any time. And here we have for some reason or not, a church which loses, which loses its first love. Is this familiar to you? Could this be part of your life? Something could happen in your life. You might lose a family or a job, whatever it might be, turn away. There's your tendency. Then if that is the case, then you can say you are not sure you're going to make it. You're not sure you're going to be in God's kingdom. You have the right to just keep doubting there it is. See, that, that God tells you exactly how not to fear. If you want to get close to God and to God, you better be sure that you don't lose that first love. In Matthew chapter 10, I'll come back to these visions. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, <clears throat> Christ told us in a few words what He expects of us and also what. He wants us to do in a sense that we can do it. God never asks anyone anything that the person cannot do. That's one of the things I remember from Mr. Armstrong. He would say, God will never ask you to give something you cannot give. That's right. But some of us are so thick, it doesn't quite penetrate. God has never asked, will never ask anyone anything that person cannot give. Whether it's in the financial matter, physical matter, or spiritual matter. Whether it's in your conversion, whatever it is. It might be the parable of the talents. If you get five, God expects you to give five, not seven. If you can't give seven, so much the better, but don't get disappointed if you don't. So, do your part. Matthew chapter 10, uh, Christ told us as to what he expects of us, as to what's going to happen. He says, do not, verse 34, Matthew 10, 34, don't think he said that I came to bring peace on earth. Now, what does he mean? Look around. Today, all the confusion because of the fact people are, they have their own gods. Therefore, families are divided. Nations are divided. And you know, the very gospel Christ Christ brought it's not the subject of peace, but of war. He says, there'll be fight between, between members of the family. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, uh, members in the family will be turning against each other. A man's father, he says, will be, verse six, uh, 36, those on his household. And then he says, who, verse 3, he, verse 38, he who does not take his cross... And follow after me says it's not worthy of me. No, that this alone is a fantastic subject for a sermon. Oftentimes we don't bear our burdens. We are sick, as I mentioned, God, that's it, that's too much. You give up. Or we lose something, we give up. It's high time we do learn to cross, to bear our cross. If we do that we will never we should never fear. And Satan will make things difficult for you with friends around you, there's a tendency in church people, let's face it. You know, I I talk and people are, generally speaking, positive. But there's always, yes, but, there it goes. Yeah, I'm doing fine, but. All of a sudden there's negative thoughts coming in. If you can't just try to adjust your thinking in such a way that, look, God wants me to be saved and I'm doing the best I can. And do the best you can. And get closer to God in the sense that, look, trust God and you will be amazed how much help you will receive from him. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2. I won't have time, but sometimes do take time to see each, to each church what God is telling as a reproach, as a reward, and every one of them, the seven churches have the same warning, the same promise, the same encouragement. He says, for instance, verse uh, seven, chapter two, Revelation says, "To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life." That overcomes will will appear every to every church, every phase. Interesting. Overcoming. So that's the most important thing as far as success in life is concerned. Whatever your condition, try to overcome your difficulties. And God is promising us in the Bible every stage in life to help us to overcome. As I said, I won't have time to go. It's interesting. Every church... Text the next one, let's say the Sabbath, Samirna, verse 8. It says, every time Christ introduces himself in a different way. It's interesting because each one is a different way of approach. He says, This thing says the first and the last. So that's the way he's introducing himself. Who was dead and came life. And then he goes on again. What the problems are. And then he says, look. If you overcome, don't fear. Verse 10. He says, be faithful. Last part of verse 10. Until death, and I will give you the crown of life. There it is. And you won't find any warnings you're going to lose out. No. If you say, if you do what he says, you're going to make it all the way through. Sometimes take take time and study carefully, exactly the way Christ uh, presents himself to his church and also what reproach he has. In chapter two, Pergamos is another one again, but here comes out with verse sixteen. He says, Repent. You find this oftentimes, but repenting is only part of it, but more than repenting it's every time it ends, those who overcome will make it. And all the way it goes like this, but let me just come to this, what we call this, a church we call Philadelphia. You know, we sometimes, shall I say, fool ourselves, I'm sorry to say. We are Philadelphians, great. Which means what? That's true. I mean, what is this, to be a Philadelphian? Yes, it is nice, it is we have to be. But the fact is sometimes we just let ourselves be confused with words. If you really want to know what Philadelphian is or means, it is let's go to first John. Uh, first John chapter four. It's very simple, very easy way of describing. First John chapter four. Verse sixteen. Well let's let's go to verse twenty, maybe We uh, just Yeah. No, it's I'm trying okay. First John first verse twenty. If someone says I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For you who does not love his brother, whom he sees, he has seen. How can he love God, whom he has not seen? And then he says, "And this commandment, look at this, verse twenty-one. We that's a commandment. Therefore, we have to keep it." it says we have from God, from God, Christ, that he who loves God must also love his neighbor. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Therefore. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 3. When we see that we are in the Church of God, Philadelphian Church, we should know that if we have any grudges against anyone, if we have not forgiven anyone, including ourselves, by the way, we are not in the Philadelphian Church. That's strong, isn't it? That's the truth. You know what? You cannot say that I'm in the church of the Fladenian phase if you have enemies over here or if you have enemies in the world. If you have not forgiven, especially before Passover, that's one of the most important things today. People bear grudges. Sometimes it's almost hidden. Come out, just go and say, Look, I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. It's hard. It's against the human nature. It's against Satan's desire. Satan wants you to bear grudges. God wants you to forgive. Well, you have heard sermons about Passover, how to be ready. Well, that's the most important thing. Learn to forgive. Ask. Go. Talk to someone in private, face to face. You'll be surprised how good you will feel. You'll be surprised how comfortable it is. You'll be surprised how much peace of mind you will have. And you'll be surprised how little fear you will have as far as salvation is concerned. So, coming back to Church of de Finiera, Revelation chapter 3, God tells us what He expects of us. God tells us that he has actually opened before us, as you know, as you see it, doors that no one can shut. It's true. But you and I, we have to do our share, isn't it? You know what? God has opened the doors before us, and God, God wants us to enter those doors. But all the way through, the overcoming is part of it. Look, he says, verse eleven. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one will may take your crown. It's interesting because this is one sentence you will not fast find in the other churches. It's, the idea is the same. The holding fast. What happened to the Church of God in Pasadena? Many did not hold fast. Many allowed Satan to just uh, deceive them. It's so easy because once you're on the wrong track, you just slide down very easily. And that's what happens. That's why it may happen if we just don't hold fast. So hold fast that you may not lose your crown, that no one will take it away from you. And it says, he who overcomes, it says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. He won't go out anymore. And then so I will write on him on him my name. No, those are tremendous, tremendous promises. Any one of us who has fear about his own salvation, look at you, look at what he's promising us, what he's telling us, that's what he wants us to do. He says, My name will be on you. New Jerusalem. I will write his own hymn, says, My name. Show me one place here. In this chapter, in this message to the Church of God, or any of the church phases of God's church throughout the 2000 years, any passage God will say, Look, I don't want you to succeed. I don't call you. I didn't call you to 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 be in my kingdom. I called you because I want you to. I want to destroy you. I know not destroy this thought. Is I, I'm surprised how often when we have doubts we are in this mood. And there is no reason why you cannot find any such feelings in Paul's writings. Paul suffered more than anyone else did. Read Second Corinthians, his sufferings. Not one single he doubted. In fact, look at second Timothy. in all these tremendous sufferings and so forth and he would be the first one to say well i give up because god is after me or satan is after me i cannot make it no that's exactly opposite look not just almost let's just get here near his death What is saying is he saying that I doubt? He doubts his uh, salvation? No. Look, first Timothy. Look, second Timothy. I've got two or three passages here, but I better let you go see through it. In his look, he says, I've, I've fought a big fight. I know I'm going to make it. Well, if he is sure he's going to make it, And he gives us us the, the way to succeed. Why should you and I ever doubt? What makes us doubt? No, nothing except the fear, the fear which comes from Satan. Anyway, in Timothy, you'll find time and again, Paul says, I fought a good fight, and the crown is waiting for me. Right now, let's come back to our subject here, before closing, let's say, at least the overall aspect of it, you and I have been called from every aspect of life. Some of us have noble background, not too many. Some of us have a very poor background. Some of us have come from a wealthy family. Some of us are poor and we are used to being poor. Some of us are very few ta- have very few talents. Others have tremendous talents. Well, all this is fine. But none of this should make us feel inferior. Because we are, all of us are just dust before God. It is not a question of how much we have. It's a question of what we do with what we have. That's the lessons we learned at Ambassador College. You no, I've seen, learned so much from Mr. Armstrong because oftentimes we used to talk to. He would encourage us this way. Look, don't give up. Just do it. And God will help you. Time and again we had to college almost to be closed in Ambassador College. We had no money left. Well, says, well says God will provide. Humanly speaking, we say, oh, no, we can't go anymore. But then we'll stop out and say, well, Yes, we'll make it. And we did it, didn't we? After his death, one year after his death, we had the most, the greatest, most income we have ever had. We had more plain truth than we ever had. Seven million. Look at our magazine today. What happened? The very thing that Satan wanted to happen. The very thing that we be proud of ourselves or just drift away from the truth and before you know it we are totally confused. One of the saddest experiences I have in my life and it happened twice I guess it, it hurt a lot but it's good for me maybe. I was in, I was in France and someone says you know Mr. Apartian, it's from the worldwide, we're so happy God called you. Oh, that's nice. Because through you through your Old Testament teaching, he brought us to the to the New Testament teachings. Through my Old Testament preaching, I brought them to the New Testament in understanding. I said, "Did I do that?" <laughs> yeah, it's great. Said so yes, because you opened our minds that all those things you see brought us close to God, and once we found the God, it was a true God, the God of the New Testament. Therefore, now, we can be thankful that you brought us through the Old Testament God to the New Testament God. This was a member of the Church of God. Why? Well, there's your Adam and Eve. There's your story of all the Israelites. That's the story of some of us today. Every time you do doubt Every time you have such thoughts, brethren, you better just wake up. Whenever you say, wait a moment. I came to the Church of God because there's a job to be done. I'm going to do it. I came to the Church of God because of the fact I want to help, and you want to help it. And I'm going to love everyone, everybody in the Church, and my neighbor in the world. If we can be, you heard about the Feast of Tabernacles around the corner, practically. A few months, always so a few months. Well, at that Feast of Tabernacles, if we can't be a light, if we can't show people, look, we are different. Not because we are better, we are different, because we believe in something, and that something is the truth, and that something is what gives us courage. In Matthew chapter 24... I won't go because I won't be able to finish all this thing. I can see it. But let me just close at least with one or two strong statements. God called Israelites for sure out of Egypt to be able to enter the promised land. There's no doubt in anyone's mind. I don't care. I can twist the Bible. You will not find otherwise this statement. God called Israelites. To enter the promised land. Likewise. God called you and me. Whatever our backgrounds. To be sure that we are on the path of salvation. He's not going to make anything more difficult for us. Whatever, whatever tries or trials. It's always within our means. We'll be able to cope with it. First Corinthians chapter ten. I've, it's a basic, very basic statement here. First Corinthians chapter ten. This is a promise, brethren, as strong as you can have. Verse thirteen. First Corinthians ten, verse thirteen. No temptation, no trials, no any kind of. A, so I say, experience. No temptation has ever overtaken you except such as is common to all men. But God is faithful. There it is. That one verse alone, one word alone, to me is sufficient. God is faithful. Some of us are not. You are not. I'm not always. We should make an effort to be able always we to should sure where I'm If I do what God says, I don't care what the price is. If I could do what God says, regardless of the price, the reward is there. But if I let myself drift away and go Satan's way or human ways, then God is no longer, quote unquote, faithful. He's faithful always, but I won't see his being faithful. I will reason my own human carnal, even satanic way. God is faithful, who will not allow you, that's pretty strong, isn't it? To be tempted beyond what you are able to Look how could you ever doubt when you read those things but with every temptation every trial will also says show you the way to escape that you may be able to bear it or you will be saved in plain language Now let's come back to my wife's favorite statement or verse Jeremiah It's interesting Because you can see now, again, you can see what God is telling us through Jeremiah. A promise which he made to our forefathers, they turned away from it. They didn't believe it. They were afraid. I repeat, every time you turn away from God, you do something that your human nature desires wrongly, or Satan wants you to do. From that moment on, you will always be afraid. That's part of, shall I say, human nature. That's part of life. Yet, God says in Jeremiah chapter 9, and then he tells us exactly what really is expected of us. Verse 23, says the Lord, so says the Lord, let Not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. This is all futility. This is is worthless. But he says, But let him who glories glory in his, that he understands and knows me. Do you know God Do you understand God? Do you do what God says? And who is this God but that we should do what He says? He says that I, verse 24, I'm the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in this day, for in this, He says, I delight, says the Lord. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's so beautiful to see how much all of us can learn from this, from such simple, yet short, yet beautiful statements. Brethren, where are we today? We're facing a tremendous challenge. This country is going down, there's no doubt. It's sad, yet it has to happen. We're going to face a very dark future, there's no doubt. God said in Revelation chapter 24 that the days ahead of us are worse than ever before. I'm paraphrasing. So you've never had such a, such, a, such tribulations before, nor will they ever be again, he says. All right, so we know it. None of these things should discourage us. None of these things should ever make us feel as though God is after us to fail. On the contrary, if we just overcome our fears by trusting God, if we just, every one of us, turn to God saying, Look, I know I am going to make it, then not only you will have peace of mind, brethren, you will have a tremendous future in life, but you will also be a tremendous help to your fellow men. And that is what counts. Your presence with others should be an inspiration. I don't care what you do, what you are, or how to—I mean, how much education you have. It doesn't matter. You'll be a light to someone because you'll be bringing, let's say, the very understanding. So in closing, let me just tell you Christ's promise to you and to me. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. He says, "Don't be afraid," and he's showing how the people in the world are afraid. Do not be like verse twenty-two. Don't be afraid. He says, and so forth. And he shows how God takes care of nature, animals, birds, and then he comes to the church. He says, "Don't be, don't seek." He says, verse. Uh, 29. Do not seek what you should even eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. There's an anxious mind. Those things are necessary. But If you do what God says, you be provided. All these things it says, triple. Seek in the sense that they put priority. And then look at a promise. Verse 31, 32. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do, verse 12, do not fear. That's what we have been talking about, isn't it? Don't fear. And that fear should be out of our minds. Do not fear, little flock. Why? Why should you not fear? For it is your father's good pleasure to give you, to, to give you the kingdom. That's the promise. That's why I say, always be sure that God is with you and God wants you to be saved. Just be cheerful, happy, no matter what happens. Brethren, you and I have this promise. You and I should be able to share this promise to others around us who do perhaps have some heavy burdens to, to bear. And we do have some people in the church. So you and I let's not only pray for them but just show how we can be cheerful, we can be positive, because look, those are examples, those are promises that cannot fail. God says don't fear little flock. So I say, all of us, let us not fear.